Morning Wood there. I am delighted here on In Your Face to have Councillor Jamal Hakim from the City of Melbourne in the studio. Welcome to 3CR. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You have got the most fabulous City of Melbourne portfolio. You've got the creative portfolio. What an awesome summer you've had. It is, and it's. I've got. I think I've won the lottery in in this council uh, term. It's just amazing to be able to represent community and to be able to be among everybody as part of this portfolio. It has been a really terrific summer. And uh, I've got to ask you, Jamel, what has been the most exciting event you have done this summer? Wow, that is a really difficult question, I have to say. There are so many things, and I could rattle off a million and one things, and there's so much happening right now. In fact, I've got a gift for you, but I'll talk about that in just a second. But I do have to say, Victoria's Pride was something that was really fun. We Midsummer delivered such an amazing festival this year, three weeks, longest festival, so many events, more events than ever. And uh, going to uh, Melbourne's or Victoria's Pride this year, I could fi- actually put my hair down for the first time since becoming councillor and really celebrate with community. And that was so terrific to be able to do that uh, there and throughout the festival, which was really terrific. Yeah, I mean, just rattle off some of the events that you've done over the last few months uh, in the creative realm. So we've got, of course, right now, Frame is happening. Dance Festival is about to end. It's still on till the end of the month. We, if you, Did you know we are the dance capital of Australia? I did not know that. How amazing. 17 organisations, everything from Arts House to a Restless Dance Company from Adelaide to the Ballet Company are delivering this amazing schedule of dance across the city. Chunky Moves is doing free lessons all month, uh, which is amazing. Uh, that's been on. Of course, uh, we've got Firelight Festival that was happening in uh, in Docklands during last winter. It's coming back this winter. It's been huge, over 110,000 people attending on the weekend. Moomba this year was longer than ever, 1.4 million people over five days. I mean, how terrific is that? It's busier than the Australian Open through that period. Uh, of course, we've had the Open, we've had the tennis was amazing, we've, we've had the uh, LGBTQI round as well. Uh, right now, and this, I've got a little hat for you actually, Jane. Oh, I need this? a hat. This one. Oh, thank and you. It's a straw hat as well, which is great. Sounds smart. Melbourne Food and Wine Festivals launched yesterday. Today was the longest lunch, the premier event. Uh, amazing. Longest brunch is on tomorrow, but we've got 10 days of food heaven. I mean, uh, I've got to make sure I go to the gym every day for this job because there is so much to eat this week. Uh, the gym's coming up next after this interview. Uh, and there's so much more. Of course, we've got the comedy starting on Tuesday. Uh, that's one of my favorite events in the calendar year because who ne- doesn't need a laugh? Yeah, absolutely. And we've got Otto and Astrid a bit later on the show. So perfect segue to that. Jamel, do your fellow councillors get jealous because you have got this amazing portfolio? They do a little bit, uh, I think. But, you know, I spread the love and and people do attend. But uh, everyone does go, oh, how do you keep up with all of that? But I think, you know, what I do love about that is I get to spend time with community. I get to spend time with artists and particularly our queer communities. Uh, We really are the arts. And uh, with that, I'm able to understand and really uh, work with our communities on what we need to do to deliver and support them. And the arts and the creative industries is really quintessentially Melbourne. It is what makes Melbourne what it is. It provides a space for innovation in business. It provides a space for people to come together, to celebrate, to enjoy things, to to think about things differently as well and think outside the square. Uh, with all the contemporary arts that's going on at the moment, particularly some of the smaller things. I mean, I've rattled off some of the big festivals, 
But some of our smaller things are really important too. When you go into a room with 10 other people, with somebody doing a show, that is really amazing. And I guess nurturing emerging queer artists and also established ones, that must be a real thrill and a real way to connect with the community. 100%. And you really do get to understand what really matters and what they need. For example, right now what we are hearing is digital skills are something that's a big gap within the art scene. Uh, We've had to, with the pandemic, with the lockdowns, with also creating better accessibility, those digital skills are so crucial. Uh, And with them being so highly demanded everywhere, artists are finding it really difficult to continue to showcase themselves and with that uh, virtual environment. So we're looking at now, how do we establish programs that support creatives with uh, digital literacy as well? So that's really, really critical. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jamel, I do have to ask you, shocking events in the city of Melbourne on the weekend with uh, the Nazis and the Let Women Speak protest. Uh, What's your response to all that? Thank you. And those were terrible events on Saturday. I came back from Brisbane on Saturday night uh, to uh, those events. And hate has no place in our city. And I've said this publicly over the weekend on all my socials. Uh, Hate has no place in our city. Uh, It's really important for us to create safe spaces for every single person. Uh, And I completely uh, support uh, everyone who needs access to our city, uh, who uh, is here to celebrate our city. But there's no space for hate language, there's no space for transphobia, and there's no space for anti-Semitism. Uh, and I'll continue to work to ensure that we create safe spaces for everyone who needs it, particularly our uh, trans communities and uh, our multicultural communities. And that's something that I'm really, really uh, passionate about. And that's why I ran for council, because I want to create these spaces. And I think representation matters in that respect. There's a lot of division within the Victorian Liberal Party over John Pesudo's move to expel uh, more redeeming from the Parliamentary Party. Some of his colleagues appear to be um, backing Moira. Are you disappointed that the Liberal Party, the opposition in this state, isn't united on this issue? I'm personally highly disappointed. I think John should be commended for standing up for what he thinks is right. And he spoke up at the Multicultural Gala Dinner on Saturday night in support uh, of multicultural and diverse communities and uh, he said it really proudly we are built on diverse communities here in Melbourne and we do it really well and we need to actually celebrate that Uh, and as uh, the premier also said we don't just accept our communities we celebrate our communities Uh, and I think John is good to work towards improving and the dynamics of the Liberal Party because we need everyone in all our parties supporting our diverse communities uh good luck to him and i think uh you know there is always division within communities wherever it might be but i am confident that the strong uh, voices that are in favor of love not hate uh, will uh, succeed here I mean, those divisions seem huge. One MP was saying to Nine Media anonymously uh, that even if his, you know, motion to expel gets up, he'll be gone in six months. That's a pretty huge division within the party. That is a huge division. And it just shows, you know, how difficult it's been for the Liberal Party to find their place, I think, uh, predominantly. And we can see that in the election. So um, we saw those, that in the voting booths. And I think uh, we need to recognise that Victoria 
celebrates diversity. Our multiculturalism here, our multi-faith community, our diverse gender communities, our LGBTQI communities are strong. And as a community, we support that in the most part. And I think we need to continue to drive that. What we are seeing, I think, and I work in abortion care in my other role, and what I've seen is that there are elements around the world that are sending money to Australia to try and drive a wedge between communities based on issues around gay rights, around trans rights, and around abortion rights. They're issues that they're using to actually destroy democracies around the world. You're getting that from the US, you're getting that from Russia, and you're getting that from elements uh, in uh, the far religious uh, extremist views around the world. And they're coming together as a coalition purely to disrupt democracies using these issues. So we have to continue to stand up for it. It's a democratic issue. It's an issue around making sure that we don't break down our democracies. And I think we'll, we'll continue to fight it here in Victoria. Should the federal government have denied Posey Parker a visa? That's a really difficult question. I think that's probably one for the minister um, in, in the federal government. I think uh, it's it's always something that, and I guess on council, coming on council now, I understand that there's often um, a challenge for our elected uh, politicians around how do you um, enforce the law that's in front of you and how do you make that judgment on the best available information. So I think that's a judgment call that the minister uh, has to make at that time. Um, at the same time too, you know, as we say, I do do believe that we do have to have conversations, um, even difficult conversations or, or sometimes conversations that aren't right. If we don't allow people to have conversations and if we don't have conversations with them in the public eye, it can create um, private conversations and it can, can create elements in our community that will then not come out and maybe change their mind. Just like what we, you know, the change of mind around uh, marriage equality, I think we saw that uh, celebration and that commitment and that uh, uh, support from such a majority of, our, of communities across Australia. Um, that wouldn't have happened without conversations over a number of years. Uh, and I think we do have to also balance that space as much as I hate the hateful conversations. I think there's a fine line. Where do you draw it? Um, I guess that's the challenge for the person in charge at the time. It's really easy, I think, to sit on this side and go, that shouldn't have been approved. I don't really know what the information was at the, uh, available. Obviously, you know, looking at it, I think it's hilarious that she's come here and there's 10 people in Adelaide who are kind of hanging around. So it almost kind of shows the strength of uh, our communities here in Australia as well. Speaking of conversations, Melbourne City Council has backed the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Uh, what are your thoughts on The Voice? Look, uh, this is something that we are really passionate about at the City of Melbourne. I am very passionate about when I entered Council as well, uh, when looking at how do we uh, recognise our First Nations people, how do we come back to those first principles. Um, as part of uh, our uh, working with First Nations people at the City of Melbourne, we have a concept called governing with First Nations, and we're working around how do we... Uh, continue to evolve that as a local council. Uh, as part of that, we do support the Uluru Statement of the Heart. That is a statement that is supported by a strong number of elders and majority of elders. It's taken a long time to build. And part of that is voice, truth and treaty. Uh, and as uh, we support that, we understand that there will never be 100% 
uh, acceptance or agreement across uh, First Nations, just like there won't be in any community, even in our queer communities, there's always division. Uh, and I think that's healthy. There should always be debate. Uh, but as a council, we believe voice is a really good start for us. It's one of the three pillars. Uh, it means, and we've seen that here in Victoria, when you have voice, it was called something else. We've got the commission that creates space for us to create treaty and for truth-telling. And that's sort of what's happened in Victoria, for example. Uh, it's called something else federally. It's this voice to the to parliament, to the constitution. But I think it's a really good step. Uh, I'm really proud to be part of the first council to put our foot down, to put our hands up and to say we support the Yes campaign because ultimately this will progress us as a nation and provide that voice for First Nations people and that will evolve over time. You are from the Greens. Are the Greens now united on The Voice now that Lydia Thorpe is an independent? I'm actually an independent. Um, but so you're a Greens Party member. No, no. You're not? No, I'm not. So, uh, <laughs> uh, people often uh, might think that different kind of different parties I might be in. And, and I guess uh, I'm sitting next to the Greens on the, on the bench, if you like, next to... Uh, Councillor Ball, they're usually on the picture, but um, I'm, I'm an independent. I'm not a member of any of the parties. Uh, and uh, I guess that allows me to also be able to go across the spectrum too. So I often say I'm socially progressive and financially responsible uh, is where I like to lay my grounds. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting seeing what's going on with the Greens, obviously from the outside. Uh, but uh, it's, it's something, I guess, for them to comment on. I wouldn't comment too much on it. Uh, but uh, clearly that there was um, tension between Lydia and the party. So so are the Greens on Melbourne City Council, from your observation, united on The Voice? Yes. Uh, well, it, they voted. It was unanimous. And the motion was brought forward by the Lord Mayor and seconded by Councillor Dr Ball, who actually worked really hard on bringing that motion to Council. And obviously Councillor Dr Ball is a member of the Greens party. But it was unanimous in our Council meeting the other night. You do have a strong relationship with the Lord Mayor, Sally Cap. Any chance we might see you running as her running mate in the next council election? <laughs> oh, that's a lovely idea. Thank you so much for that vote of confidence, James. It'd be lovely to have a member of the career community in the executive uh, and leadership team. Uh, that's probably something um, for um, a, a future thought, but nothing in on the cards right now. And, you know, as... Sally as Lord Mayor does a terrific job and, and Nick Reese as Deputy Lord Mayor do a terrific job together uh, and it's been a great actually council to be part of I have to say uh, because everyone has been consummate professionals um, they haven't always agreed and it's allowed debate to go on and for people to deliver on what uh, our community needs but we've come to the right outcomes everyone's there to make sure that Melbourne is the best uh, city and the best capital city in Australia. Will we run again? Will you seek another term on Melbourne City Council? I think so. I've been I've been thinking, pondering this uh, for a little while now, uh, and a lot of people have been asking me to run again. Uh, what I've found, and maybe this is something for everybody, it's really interesting as a first-term councillor. Uh, the first year, really, is you're just getting to know the ropes. Unfortunately, we've had lockdowns, so it took me two years to get to meet people properly. So I feel like only now, in this this year, that I'm starting to, uh, I know what go, happens, I know how to get things done, I know what uh, all who the people are, uh, so I do feel like I need another term to deliver for the commitments that I've kind of made, particularly around safety for our communities, uh, but also looking at how we can uh, bring in a greater diversity across everything that we do. 
And of course, your long-term Docklands resident, I mean, they did it hard. Docklands did it hard during the lockdowns because people live in high-rise accommodation. Uh, how's the community travelling and what are the big issues for residents in Docklands, do you think? Docklands, look, Docklands has been hit hard and I love Docklands. Docklands is one of the most amazing. I think it's, it's a diamond in the rough that nobody really knows till you get there. And that's the story of Melbourne, isn't it? Like, we're not Sydney. We're Sydney, you've got the Opera House. What do they say? It's Sydney's like the pretty sister. It doesn't have to do much. Um, Melbourne is like that sister who has to work a little bit harder. And Docklands is the same. We're on the water. Where else in the water? In the world, can you have water views? And be where you, we are and, and the, the cost that you have in Docklands. Some of the challenges in Docklands now is we've had a changing community. So we've got uh, an increasing first uh, generation migrant community that's coming, 30% Indian, Chinese, uh, Arab community that's coming in. Um, we've got lots of families, which is terrific. So we held the Docklands Summit last year and the outcomes came out in November. I'm really keen to make sure that we build trust in Docklands and progress the actions of that summit because there has been a lot of talking and not enough actions in Docklands. Uh, something we need to do more action in Docklands with. Um, so that's something that I'm going to continue to progress and work with and that all of council is very supportive. And you'll see an amazing new festival with a, a unique offering in Docklands later in the year in August. So that's really exciting. I can't talk too much about it because it's still hush-hush. Uh, but watch that space. I'd love to come and talk to you about it another time. That sounds very exciting. You can't give us any more details, from Mel. <laughs> all I can say is that is going to blow your mind. It is going to be um, something that uh, is going to take music and it's going to take digital uh, spaces and really bring something different to Melbourne in that uniquely Melbourne way. Um, that's all I can say. Uh, and, you know, I'm very, very excited having seen a peak of some of the events that are already coming together for that. Jamel Hakim, thank you so much for popping into 3CR. The chat with us sounds very exciting and uh, thanks for the gorgeous hat. Thanks, James. Cheers. Here's Beth Orton.
Beth Orton there, Haunted Satellite. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am joined by uh, Noah Reisman, the wonderful historian and author. Noah, welcome back to the show. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Noah, it's been a crazy week. Uh, have you ever seen as a historian a week like this with the attacks on the trans community? It's just been absolutely extraordinary. Oof. Look, in Australia, no. Um, but I'm trying to keep on bit on the positive side that despite the attacks on the trans community, the fight back and the pro-trans voices have been a lot louder, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, you are in, in, embroiled, if you like, in a, in a bit of um, activism <laughs> yourself. Tell us what is happening at Australian Catholic University over the flying of the pride flag there. Sure. First, I do just need to make it clear to all the listeners that what I'm about to talk about, I'm representing my own personal views, so I'm not speaking on behalf of the university, and I'm also not speaking on behalf of the ACU Ally Network, which I do co-convene, but I just do need to make that clear, so these are my own personal views. So what happened was in late February, um, well, actually, in early February, one of the lovely librarians on the Blacktown campus, for those who don't know, ACU has seven campuses, so we're in Brisbane, three campuses in Sydney, Canberra, Ballarat, and Melbourne. So one of the librarians in Blacktown uh, for orientation bought an Aboriginal flag, a Torres Strait Islander flag, and a Progress Pride flag. And she put them up in the campus library as it meant to be a welcoming gesture for new students and to show how inclusive and welcoming ACU is of all people from various backgrounds. Um, a few weeks later, a religious external stakeholder, is the way it was put to me, saw the Progress Pride flag, complained to a very senior person, and an edict went to the librarians across all of the campuses, not just Blacktown, telling them to remove any rainbow flags and stickers, etc. And the, the quote from that email was that it's not appropriate at ACU. So one of the lovely librarians contacted me. They were very distressed um, because I'm co-chair of the Ally Network. I got in touch with um, some very senior people at the university. They investigated, they came back to me, and the position was, oh, no, 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 this is the flags policy of the university. And I'm like, excuse me, come again? Um, so the, the university does have a flags policy. If you read the flags policy, this is not what it's about. The flags policy is about the flying of flags on flagpoles, mainly the Commonwealth flag, the Aboriginal flag, Torres Strait Islander flag, state flags, and even the Vatican flag, believe it or not. Um, but they're invoking that, and the reason they're invoking the flags policy is because even though we're a Catholic university, we're also a public university, and ACU, unlike religious primary and secondary schools, actually is not exempt from any anti-discrimination laws. So they're invoking the flag policy as their sort of legal grounds to back themselves up to say, we're not discriminating, this is the flag policy, we would do the same for any flag, and they keep using the analogy for me of the Ukrainian flag. We know it's rubbish, a lot of people know it's rubbish, but anyway... Um, so the, yes, I've been challenging this, speaking out about it. Um, the ally network has very much been emphasizing the importance of visibility for student safety and inclusion and welcoming environment and how this seems to be a step against that. So the ally network has been advising all of its members about what's been going on and also has been in touch with the LGBTIQ plus student groups, and they've been distressed by this. And look, the whole thing hit the media last week in the Sydney Morning Herald. I'm not the one who contacted the Sydney Morning Herald, although whoever did, I do thank them. And yeah, uh, that's where we're at now, I suppose. Oh, I would also quickly throw in the, the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union, have very much been 
on our side as well. They've been wonderful in solidarity and support through this process as well. The optics for the Australian Catholic University on this issue are absolutely terrible. There's been a lot of um, backlash and a lot of criticism of this decision. And I would have thought the events of the last week would have given the university a perfect opportunity to reflect and to realise how harsh their decision was and to, and to change it with applause. Any chance that's going to happen? Yeah, I'd go even further than that, because what probably, there's a broader context going on right now at ACU where actually we've had like a plateauing of student numbers and a decline of student numbers, and there's a huge budget crisis we're facing. So while this is all going on, the university is also trying to make over 100 staff redundant, and the union is contesting that, so that, that's a whole other story that's not really for here, except they're losing students. This is going to lose more students. It really is. This is not going to attract more students. It's going to lose more students. So on that front as well, it, it does not seem like like a very sensible decision. Um, but I also agree that, look, obviously this all started before the, the Nazis in Melbourne and the so-called Christian Lives Matter thugs in Sydney. But absolutely, with what's happened the last few weeks, it, it now it looks even worse. And, you know, we saw the Premier in Victoria put up the Pride flags. I, when I saw that image, I was like, see, ACU, it's not that hard. If the state of Victoria can, you know, pull down the Australian flag and the state flag and put them up on a flagpole, we're not even asking to do that. We're just asking that if staff want to put it in a public place, they should be allowed to. And that is, sorry, that is one context I forgot to say before. The university has said, because they do know that we have intellectual freedom that they do take seriously, staff are allowed to put rainbows up anywhere they want in their personal spaces but they can't um, put it in public spaces. That's what that's the position they've been saying. You raised a really interesting theme before. The university's facing financial hardship, but they're going down this path of repressing and suppressing LGBTIQ visibility and pride. That's a common theme that's happening a bit around the world, isn't it? Look at the US with Republican mm. state legislatures in, in states facing enormous economic hardship, yet they're, they're focusing on drag shows and, and trans rights. Yeah, look, I think it is part of a broader culture war. Um, there are, I need to be cautious, how say, let's just say if you look at some of the leadership and some of the members of the ACU Senate, there are some very high-profile conservative voices there. Um, I'll put it like that. So I'm not surprised that certain people are very much willing to, you know, stake themselves on this without seeing the bigger picture. Um, I think... I mean, the comparison with the U.S. I think is apt to the extent that that they are that um, it's part of a broader culture war. But I think a, a better position might be to look at, say, the Liberal Party here. Um, perhaps not in Victoria, because I, I mean, credit to Pesuto, who's trying to do the right thing. But there's all these people who very much want to take that party further to the right and for, seem to forget that you do know that people from the right aren't the only ones who vote. You do know that, like you know, we have compulsory voting, these other people are going to decide the election, not that. And I look at this similarly, they're very much catering to a particular demographic of Catholicism, which I, you know, is not the, necessarily the only interpretation on sexuality and gender within Catholicism. Theologians will tell you that, and we've worked with some wonderful priests at ACU who are very much on board with the inclusion agenda, and will tell you it's not inconsistent with Catholicism. But there is a particular interpretation of it that is dominating and seems to say, 
you know, whatever. If we lose students, we don't care because we're we're right. Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, it, it would be interesting, wouldn't it, to be a fly on the wall at those high-level meetings amongst oh, God, amongst these uh, conservative leaders to see if they're actually doing any self-reflection. And I mean, the reality is, of course, that, you know, the Nazis repressed Catholicism in so many countries um, and, you know, in, in other ways were kind of, you know, in cahoots with them as well. But it is terrible optics and you would have thought that that social justice element of Catholicism would have kind of, you know, kicked in and they would go, look, this is not the time to be enforcing something so draconian. So one thing that's given me, that's actually really made me feel really good the last few weeks, I've got to admit about two days, two days ago, sorry, two weeks ago, there was one day that like I was feeling really down with all of this. Since the article in the Sydney Morning Herald, the number of staff and students and alumni and families who've reached out and they've been so angry and the messages of support, I know that this decision does not reflect the majority of students and staff at ACU. I know that. And I know that these people are far more welcoming. And most of them, I shouldn't say most, a lot of them are Catholic. I remember years ago, someone once distinguished between what they call big C Catholicism and small C Catholicism. And a lot of the people I work with, whether they're Catholic or not, really represent that small C Catholicism, that, that social justice that you were talking about. And, you know, it's in the university mission. It is in our mission statement about affirming the dignity of all human individuals. And that's very much what this is about. It's by saying to LGBTIQ people, affirming their dignity and saying they're welcome. And I can say that what we are doing with all the support we've been getting is um, next week, the Ally Network is encouraging staff and students to, as we've put it, rainbow up. Um, Essentially, wear your rainbows, wear flags, wear bandanas, wear jewelry, wear clothes, wear whatever you want. Because that is allowed. That's the intellectual freedom. That's the freedom of speech they can't stop. So, well, you know, the Ally Network has said to people, be visible. If they won't let, let them put a flag up in the library, you be the flag. You know, so that's what we're hoping will happen next week. How fascinating. So in actual fact, by, by, this, by this policy, the reaction to it is actually queering up the Australian Catholic University, making those rainbows more visible. What a wonderful, what a <laughs> wonderful so. form Marvel of direct action. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a it's a wonderful piece of of activism, but it's also really empowering, isn't it, for the queer community and allies at the university? Because this must be hammering morale. So it's great that you're actually taking your power back and uh, being queer and proud. Look, that's the goal. Um, one of the reasons I've been so outspoken and so visible is because I know I'm in many privileged positions. I'm a cis white man and I'm a level E professor, which means I'm as high as I can go unless I ever want to be a dean, which I don't. So I'm in a very privileged position at the university. Unless they decide in a few months to cut people in my program, they can't get rid of me. So I've been very vocal on this issue because I know there are a lot of other staff. You know, like I said, there's a hundred people who they might cut their jobs. Those people are terrified. I've, I have been contacted by librarians who are terrified to speak out because there are meetings where they are literally being told, you are not to, to talk about this, you're not to do anything. When they tell me that, I say to them, intellectual freedom, they can't stop you. But I understand that they're scared. I get that. And other staff and some students, I even earlier today got email about students who want to sign a petition and they're afraid if we sign a petition, will something happen to us? And I said, no, nothing will happen to you. Nothing's allowed to. And if anything tries to, you come to me. And, and I get that's where this is what, what we're trying to overcome is the fear. We're trying to overcome the fear that people have. And the only way to overcome fear is through visibility. And so that's what we're trying to do.
Noah Reisman, keep up the fight and thank you so much for joining us today on 3CR. No worries. Thanks so much, James. Noah Reisman there talking about the controversy over the pride flag at Australian Catholic University. You are an in-your-face on 3CR and here's Rasheen Murphy.
Sheen Murphy there, Kingdom of Ends. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, die, rotten punk duo Otto and Astrid. Uh, Otto and Astrid Rot are doing a joint solo project, The Salvador Dinosaur, at Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And they join me on the line. I'm honoured to have you both on the show. How are you? Hello. Hi, James. Hello, we're good. It is such a thrill to have you on the show. I absolutely love your music. Tell us about your joint solo project. It sounds very exciting. Well, we were working for many years on our fifth Die Rotten Punkte album. Uh, and we were, you know, kind of having some little artistic differences. And uh, finally, um, I heard one of my songs, uh, which is about how our parents died. Um, they were eaten by a lion no, uh, when they see, were on the way. See, this is this is not true, James. Our parents they were very sadly squeezed by a train. It and was Otto's a lion. Tried, Otto is writing songs that are untrue and trying to put them on our fifth album. So I had to put a stop to this, and that's how we ended up doing a joint solo project. So we don't we're not artistically collaborating on this show. We are just in the same show at the same time, but in separate spaces. That sounds so exciting, and it sounds like it's just like a, a vehicle for a lot of artistic tension. How do you manage all that when you perform? Well, we'll see, but, you know, it's hard, James. It's really hard. Yeah, I bet it is. Now, tell us about the backstory to how you two got together as an act. Well, we just grew up together, huh? We, you know, because I with my sister, and, uh, you know, uh, she when she was little, she was like banging like on pots and pans, and uh, you know, like just making noises, um, just all kinds of industrial things, and you know, setting fire to objects. Oh, yeah, I was very, I was always very artistic and musical. And then uh, after our parents sadly died, when on my twelfth birthday, uh, a nasty aunt and uncle came to look after us. Um, and it wasn't a good scene, James. They made us do awful jobs, like we had to chop wood and cook cabbage soup. And yeah, so they made I, us do folk dancing while we were dressed as squirrels. Yes. So I took Otto in the middle of the night, and we ran away to Berlin, and we grew up in a squat, surrounded by all these different artists, visual artists and musicians, and we just we, we saw David Bowie, and we just were inspired, and we became a band. Wow. So, Astrid, you're the big sister. Yes, I'm four years older than Otto. Wow, okay. And you're the gregarious one that was banging those drums. Uh, Astrid, what was Otto like as a kid? Yeah, he was pretty quiet. He was very obsessed with trains and animals. And I didn't really pay much attention to him. You know, he was four years younger. And now I'm trying not to Astrid pay was like to a now. mother figure to me. She was like, no. you know, she would look after me. No, I, I didn't do that, James. I, I just put him in a cupboard and I went out. Yeah, <laughs> and saw David Bowie. Yeah, exactly, and had made a party. Yeah, and went to Peaches concerts and all kinds of cool things I like that. Peaches, yeah. Did you see her recently? No, I didn't, but I'm kicking myself that I didn't because I reckon it was a pretty awesome concert. I didn't see this. We are in Melbourne at the moment, but we were away for that one. But I saw her in Melbourne about four years ago, and she played at Billboard Nightclub. Yeah, wow. That would have been it awesome. Was fun. Yeah. So, Otto, tell us about your gig as part of this joint solo project. Like, what can we expect from Otto Rot? 
Well, I just get to do whatever I want, right? I can sing about whatever I want. I can play in the style that I want. So, you know, there's some, uh, you know, uh, Ed Sheeran sort of stuff that I like we've been listening to and inspired by. And, uh, you know, I really like uh, early Depeche Mode, Um, you know, Speak and Spell. That's such a great album. And, uh, yeah, just and also some, you know, punk rock, you know. Uh, but also, I've been reading a lot of Brene Brown, and uh, that's been inspirational for me, too. I can imagine your interpretation of Ed Sheeran to be off the radar, off the atlas. Tell us about that. Well, he's just like such a nice man. I've been watching all these documentaries about him, and, you know, like everyone likes him. And, uh, you know, I, that's, that's what I want to be like. I, I, I want to play rock and roll music. And, uh, you know, I'm still inspired by all of the bands that I grew up with, like Devo and Talking Heads and Television and uh, Ramon, Blondie, that kind of thing. You know, that's, that's really like new wave. That's, that's the stuff I grew up with. But I'm just I'm inspired by Ed Sheeran just as a person. You know, he just like um, he writes music for that a lot of people are touched by. And he's just such a nice person, you know. And Astra, who are you going to cover as part of your solo show? Definitely not Ed Sheeran, let me just say. Oh, my goodness. Otto, you can't... We need the audience to stay. You can't bore them. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I, I've been inspired by, well, by Peaches, for sure. And also, I love uh, Chrissy Amplett from The Divinos. I love her voice and, you know, her kind of punk rock feel and style. And I love Debbie Harry from Blondie and Nina Hagen. Um, I like... I like all kinds of things. I love, I tell you, I really love Miley Cyrus's voice. I think she's got a really, like, you know, following in the footsteps of Joan Jett a little bit with a real rock-out voice. And, yeah, I've got some cool songs coming up. I've got, um, like, uh, a little bit inspired by Doja Cat and Cardi B. I've got a song called Tasty Snack, which is really cool. And I've got some cool dance moves in it. And I have another song called Shush Now. And, uh, yeah, I'm busy writing and finishing them all, so it's going to be a lot of fun. So you're both sprinkling your shows with original stuff as well? It's all original. All our songs are original, yeah. We write all our own songs. Fantastic. Now, I'm so glad you love Nina Hagen because she's so much fun. And what a voice. Yes. Yes. She's fun. She's so, so cheeky and, you know, bops around. And, yeah, I love her style. So, Otto, tell us about your stage energy and what are you going to wear? Well, you know, for me, I um, found the perfect sort of almost like a uniform. Like, uh, I have these custom rock and roll kick pants that I, like, had specially designed. And I can just, like, do peak towns and windmills and and leaping and stuff. And, uh, yeah, so, like, I just found something. I like to think of myself a little bit like a superhero and uh, I wear the same thing every time I go on stage. Oh, wow. So which superhero are you modeling yourself on in particular? You know, that's the thing. Like, Brene Brown says you got to be yourself. I am my own superhero. Oh, that's can awesome. Can you believe it? I can yeah. believe that. Absolutely, I can believe it. I reckon you're a bit of a superhero too, Astrid. Yeah, I'm a bit of a superhero. I will be wearing... Uh, I have a really cool frock made by Alice Edgley, who's a local designer, and I'm going to be wearing a very um, swish jacket 
made by a woman whose company is called Gunshy, and it's all faux fur, like red faux fur with two little puffy sleeves and red satin on the inside. It's going to be all... And my dress is like a, like a zebra swishy print with like black lace inserts and uh, red jewels. I can't wait. Gonna be, I'm going to look amazing and we're going to make a party. Yeah. Now, do you both tell little stories on stage? Well, we we always talking, you know, like, I mean, it's probably, weird for us, right? Probably because too we, much, I would say. Well, we are this kind of serious, like, art rock band, but, you know, we get booked for comedy festivals and stuff, so it's weird for us. Like, we just, um, like, we got on stage, we played our song, and we started talking. We heard a lot of people laughing, and at first that was weird because, uh, you know, we we just expressing our art rock. And um, But, you know, we kind of got used to it. We feel like it's just part of, uh, you know, how people like to respond. And sometimes people are clapping and cheering, and sometimes people are laughing, but it's all part of the rock and roll experience for us. Yeah, it must be a bit of a trip doing comedy. I mean, I, w- I would imagine you guys have been in a few mosh pits. Oh, yes. <laughs> so many. I love being in the mosh pit. I like it when my feet leave the ground and I'm carried around by the the other people just like moving yeah it's like a big hot sweaty soup yeah sounds fantastic so give us the details for this amazing solo show because the comedy festival is happening real soon i know yeah but we are just go you go after yeah comedy festival opens like just next week in five days but we are in the last two weeks so you have easter and you, you know you eat some chocolates and you find some rabbits on Monday, and then Tuesday, you wake up and you go, oh my goodness, time for Dirat and Punta, and we open that Tuesday, which is the 11th of April, and then we run right through to the end till Sunday 23rd, and we're on at 7.15 at the Malt House. Fantastic. Great venue. And yeah. you know, we're in the Beckett. It's really cool. Wow. You must be having lots of fun rehearsing. Yes, we are. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to rock along and see your show, Astrid Rot and Otto Rot. Thank you so much for chatting with us today on 3CR. All right. See you soon. See you at the show. Bye. Otto and Astrid Rot there. And here's their great track, Burger Store Dinosaur. Floor, 
Catch you next week on In Your Face. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.